Well, good morning. I'd like to invite you this morning to come with me. Come with me to a time almost 2,000 years ago. It's a Thursday night, and it's dark outside. Jesus and 11 of his disciples are still lingering around the Passover table, quietly talking after the meal. And oh my goodness, it has been an unusual Passover this year. Even just this night, just before the meal, Jesus had begun the evening by washing his disciples' feet. It really surprised them, took them aback. And I imagine deeply touched them that their great and miracle-working and amazing Son of God rabbi would stoop to serve them. And then, during the course of the Passover meal, Jesus left the liturgy of the evening, and he told them that his body and his blood were to be the once and for all sacrifice for sin, and that he was and is the Passover lamb. And he asked them, he urged them to accept his sacrificial offer by eating and drinking the bread and the wine. And then, just when they thought nothing could surprise them more, Jesus told them he would be betrayed by one of them, no less. And they could still hear the sound of the door banging shut and still smell the waft of cool air that had come in as Judas went out into the dark night. Jesus then spoke of the glory of God. The glory of God we just heard in music. And while they were puzzling after those very strange words to their ears, they all now found themselves staring dumbfounded at Peter, whose eyes were on the floor, whose face was white as a sheet, because Jesus had just said that Peter, Peter would disown Jesus three times before dawn. Not one of them in their wildest dreams were thinking that by this time tomorrow their beloved rabbi and friend would be dead. And not any of them were thinking that he would rise from the dead three three days later. And there they sat, Jesus and 11 of his disciples still lingering around the Passover table quietly talking after the meal on this most unusual of Passover nights nearly 2,000 years ago. 
And then Jesus said something. He said something to calm their troubled hearts that he could see and could sense. He told them, don't be troubled. Hey, don't worry. I'm going to my father's house. He told them he was going to God, and while he was there, he said he'd prepare a place for them too. And when all was ready, when their place was ready, he himself would come back for them and take them there too to be with him forever. Well, and it's at this point that I think all the confusion of the evening, the emotion of the evening, maybe this rather mysterious words that Jesus was speaking, I think it finally got to Thomas. Good old practical Thomas. I mean, we got a foot-washing rabbi going on. We got bread and wine that's somehow Jesus' body and blood. We got Judas bolting for the door. Peter's sitting over there, crestfallen perhaps, and, and all this glory of God talk going on. And now this, Jesus was going away somewhere without them? So Thomas, I picture, finally couldn't stand it. Okay, time out here. What in the world is going on? And so Thomas figures he's going to get some clarity, something firm that he can stand on in the sea of confusion and emotion, perhaps, that was in that room that night. And so he asks a very practical question. He asks, Lord, how can we know the way, the way to where you're going? We don't know the way. What's the way to your father's house? What's the way to God? Tell us. And oh, Thomas, what a question. One for the ages, really. My friends, Jesus' answer is an essential of the Christian faith in all bold caps, underlined in italics, it will break your word processor. In our series on the essentials of the Christian faith, there is none bigger none more important, none more essential than the one in Jesus' answer to Thomas' question, which way to God? Jesus answered Thomas, his disciples, and he tells each and every person in this room, each and every person that has ever lived, each and every person alive right now, and each and every person will hear these words one way or the other that is yet to be born. And this is what he says, What's the way to God, Thomas? I am. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not only a way. Jesus is not only one way. Jesus, the one and only begotten Son of God, is the one and only way to God. And that's as essential as it gets to our faith, my friends. And our culture doesn't like it. They want to respond to that by shouting words such as, that's too narrow. That's judgmental. No. Well, that's good for you. I know that's what you believe is true. How dare you suggest that that's capital T truth. That's not what's true for me. 
There are some things, my friends, that are objectively true. I understand that whether or not you like bananas can be true for you and not true for someone else. I say that because my car smells like bananas this morning and I have no idea why. I suspect my son has a banana in his baseball bag that he has not yet taken out. I will find the banana smell. But there are some things that are absolutely true. Don't be fooled by clever talk. The sun is a sphere. The sky is blue. Two plus two is four. There is a God. And my friends, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Now, of course, in our essential series, we've talked about such things as, well, how exactly does that work, and what are the finer points of that? Okay, we can debate that, but there are rock-bottom truths, rock-bottom essentials that are true, and this is one of them. Jesus is the one and only way to God, Thomas. Our friend Peter finally got it right, not that night, but sometime later. After Jesus left and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him, Peter finally got it right. He and John and the guys are dragged before the Sanhedrin, the same council that orchestrated Jesus' death. Peter got it right when he said to them, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. He's speaking of Jesus, of course. Salvation is found in no one else. Jesus is the only name by which we must be saved. That's really cool when he said it in Hebrew when he used or if he used Jesus' name because if you say Jesus in Hebrew, Yeshua, go ahead, say Yeshua. You have also just said in Hebrew God's salvation. Salvation of God. If you wanted to say that in biblical Hebrew, you'd say Yeshua. God's salvation. So even his name, Yeshua, is a reminder of this essential, God's salvation in this man, Jesus Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter underlines that salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. And later, the apostle Paul and one of Paul's disciples, a man named Silas, states this truth clearly as well when they answer the question of that trembling Philippian jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So, are you saved? Are you saved? In other words, do you believe in Jesus? Because my friends, he's the only way to being with God forever. He's the only answer, the only true and lasting answer to all of life's heartache, all of life's disappointments, all of this chaos and wrestling and pain and relational pain in particular it seems, all around us, he's the only lasting answer. He's the only one who can rescue you, deliver you, and save you, period, exclamation point. 
You remember the, the popular advertisements for milk? I think they're still going on. Different celebrities would stand there with like a glass of milk and they'd take a drink, get that big white milk mustache. Right? You see that? And it's like, you can tell on the ad that, you know, they like painted something on there because it's like, whoa, man, you really had yourself a drink of milk, didn't you? And there they sit, you know, with their milk or their milk mustache. And remember the caption? Got milk? You know, I found a picture of one of those ads. Oh, it's Superman. <laughs> yeah. Someone's thinking, who can we, how about Superman? You know, and if you read through what it says there, it says, you know, when you drink meal, you, uh, milk, you can have bones of steel. <laughs> a little different than the workout video that works on, you know, this. <laughs> well, if you drink milk, you might have bones of steel too. I don't know, but you get the point of the ad. Got milk? Some Christians, many of you know too, I'd forgotten. I'd seen it before, but I'd forgotten. They kind of borrowed that whole ad campaign, and they began asking the question, got Jesus? Have you seen that? You go to Mardell's, you get a t-shirt with that on it. I always thought that was clever, but I also thought it'd be really cool. It'd be really cool to have celebrities that believe in the ad too. You know, or how about Superman? Got Jesus? Yeah, I don't know. Superman's a believer. Probably follows that Krypton God, right? I don't know. <laughs> or how about um, maybe if Tim Tebow's listening? <laughs> Got an idea for you, Tim. <laughs> now, it doesn't work as well if you are the Jedi Master Yoda because um, Yoda likes uh, to end his senses with a verb, so it sort of falls apart there. But you get the idea, right? <laughs> so are you saved? You got Jesus? Maybe a better question is to ask is the one this next picture suggests. Does Jesus got you? Have you let him get a hold of you, truly get a hold of you, all of you, all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your mind. Have you let him really get a hold of you? Does he got you? Are you holding out? Seeking life's answers from somewhere or someone else? If you are, if you don't got Jesus, or if you haven't let Jesus get complete hold of you, I need to tell you, Jesus is the one and only way for lasting salvation, for lasting rescue and deliverance for whatever it is that you're suffering over and wrestling with. Nothing else will last. Salvation is found in no one else. So if you haven't yet asked Jesus into your life or you haven't yet let him into all of it as your Lord and Savior, why not ask him today? Speaking of salvation, now there's one of those churchy-sounding words, isn't it? Salvation. I want to share something with you that I find helpful in thinking about my own salvation and just about salvation, biblical concept of salvation. Maybe it'll help you too. We often, it seems to me, 
I know I contend this way, is to view salvation as only covering that moment in our lives when we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Right? We make that choice, that decision, and then afterward, even a moment afterward, we can say, we're saved. I have been saved. And when people ask, are you saved? We often point to that moment in time, in the past, when we were saved, past tense, back then. And while that's true, it's incomplete when it comes to a full meaning of salvation. For you see, salvation has three tenses. Past, yes, but also present and future. The Bible includes all three tenses when it talks of salvation. I've listed a few in your bulletin. There are many more. Paul in Romans 8 reminds us we were saved in the past. In Philippians, Paul urges us to continue to work work out our salvation in the present. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about a person's spirit being saved on the day of the Lord in the future. The Bible speaks of salvation in three tenses, past, present, and future. Someone once shared with me this illustration. You're in the middle of the sea, and you're struggling to stay afloat. It's a great illustration hebraically because the sea always represents the abyss, they called it, in chaos. They had such thoughts of a place where if you go in there, you can't breathe. That's not good. So you're in the sea, and you can't stay up any longer, and you're, you're drowning. And suddenly a boat appears, and someone hauls you above and puts you in the bottom of that boat, and, oh, I'm saved. And you are. And then comes the next day that you're in the boat, and the next. And you know what? As long as you're in that boat, you are still being saved, aren't you? Moment by moment. And as you look in the boat, you can look and you can see a distant shore. And the boat's making its way toward it. And you may even have to row a bit. And one day, One day you will get to that shore and you will step out on dry land. One day you will be saved. And so believers can say not only I have been saved, but also I am being saved and I will be saved. Now I know some of you are thinking of those traditional stages of salvation, although sometimes they're not even called that. They sort of have become their own thing. Justification, sanctification, glorification. It's a lot of cations. (laughs) So I included those there on the screen. There's rough correlation with what I've been talking about this morning, but and those work well too, but they can lead us to forget sometimes That it's salvation we're talking about and that our salvation is part of all of them. Our tendency is to think of our salvation as having happened in the past, justification only, and confuse the two. 
Justification, sanctification, glorification is all one big part of our salvation. Past, present, future. And what are we being saved from anyway? Someone say sin. sin. That's a great answer, sin. <laughs> Jesus saves us from sin. And you know, if we take sin and put it into our past, present, and future views of salvation, because we are being saved from our sin, look at what we get. We get something that also helps us to better understand this problem of sin. See what you think. Since I am in Christ, I have been saved. I have been saved from what? I've been saved from the penalty of sin. And since I am in Christ, I am being saved. I am being saved from what? I am being saved from the power of sin. Hey, two words that start with P. Can you sense a pattern? I'll bet the last one does too. Let's see. And finally, since I am in Christ, I will be saved. I will one day be saved from what? Well, one day I will be saved from even the presence of sin. Sin in others, sin in all creation, and yes, that sin that still lingers in me. All gone one day, praise God. Jesus saves us from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, past, present, and future. That's our salvation in Christ. What difference does that make today? Well, our Savior is about saving us all the time. He saved me in the past by the sheer grace and mercy of God through the death of Jesus Christ, my Savior. God has forgiven my sins, justified me, and reconciled me to himself. The penalty owed for sin has been paid in full. I accept that in Jesus' name, and I am free from the penalty of sin. Praise God. Amen? Amen. And guess what? Someone's supposed to say, what? Jesus is still saving us today, every day, all the time. This time through the power of the Holy Spirit we talked about two weeks ago. Saving us from the full power at least, the full influence, the full brunt of sin. Saving us from being compelled to say yes to sin. He gives us the power to say no to the devil. Moment by moment, day by day, Jesus is hard at work in me, saving me today, moment by moment, from the sinful lean and tendency of my own human nature and my own life and my own relationships. You know, and on some days, it's three steps forward and two steps back. And some years, it's two steps back. And maybe some decades, it's one hard step forward. But my Savior lives, and he's with me, and he's about saving me today, right now. And oh, if we can capture that when we wake up in the each morning, and, and not only with the reality of being saved in the past, but also face-to-face with an active Savior who's still at it saving me, who will save me every step of the day I take today, bringing with him the full power of the cross, the full power of salvation. Yeah, you can call it sanctification, but it's part of our salvation. The great hymn gets it right, as great hymns almost always do. 
God's mercies are new every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. When you look in the mirror tomorrow morning, as most of us, I think, do when we're getting ready, at least a quick look, right? Look in the mirror tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning and, and, and know right then, know right then and there that Jesus is saving you right now. And know that when you step away from that mirror, wherever you go, whatever you do, the saving power of the cross is working right there, right now in you. You are being saved. So yeah, are you saved? Yes, and I'm also being saved. God and I are continuing to work that out even now. Does some sin have a hold of you right now? I'll bet if we pass the mic, in fact, we'll do that, and everyone will confess their, no. <laughs> I won't do that. But I invite you just, I invite you to think of some sin in your life that has a hold of you right now, that you're wrestling with. You know it's wrong. You know it's sin. And you've tried listening to the blather out there that suggests, oh no, it's really not wrong, just go with it, but that isn't working. And you know you've got sin in your life and it's tough. And you wrestle with it. Do you know that you can defeat it with God's help? Do you know he offers that? Do you know that you are indwelt with a power, with a presence of God himself that can actually stand up to any sin? I don't care what it is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. God gives you freely the power. If you accept it, ask for your wholehearted, whole-minded, whole-bodily participation, heart, soul, might, and mind, and do you know that together with God, with his power, you can beat that sin? Do you believe that? We've got that power to defeat sin in our lives. He gives it to us. And it might not be easy. In fact, it's probably going to be hard. You may well have to row that boat together with God. But I tell you what, you take one step one, you make one prayer, you take one stroke with that oar, and he will step and he will row and Jesus will add his prayers with yours. He promises. And you can defeat that sin in your life with God's help. I invite you, start today. That sin that you thought of, start today if you haven't already. Say, you know what? I've, I've really given up on that one. That's just kind of been in that area of my life and yeah, I'm pretty good in the other areas of my life. In that area, that's okay. That's just kind of for me. Let that go too. Make a start. Share that struggle with a friend that you trust. Have them help you pray. Someone who knows the Lord. Make a start because you can defeat that sin because Jesus is saving you right now. If you let him, you're being saved from the power of sin. Finally, our saving Savior promises that one day all sin will be gone. This is good news. 
Oh, and it gives hope, doesn't it? Isn't that encouraging to know that that thing that you wrestle with, that temptation, that sin that you wrestle with, that I'm not going to wrestle with those terrible things forever? Just a few years more in the scope of eternity, no matter how long you live. It's just a few years more, just a little while longer, so help you, God. You're not going to be paddling forever, thank God. The end is in sight. And at the end, Jesus will save us from even the presence of sin in me and around me. And oh, what a glorious day that will be. Amen? Amen. Right, let's practice our salvation, shall we? So, wow, practice, well, not really practice our salvation. Let's recite uh, what a salvation creed, I guess you could say. Would you stand, please? I invite you to please say these words after me in closing this morning. about our salvation. Please say these words after me. I have been saved. I have been saved. No more penalty of sin. I am being saved. The power of sin in my life is broken. And I will be saved. One day the presence of sin will be gone forever. I have been saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for saving us from our sin. Thank you for the debt that Jesus paid long ago on the cross and taking away once and for all any penalty for sin. And Father, thank you for continuing your saving presence in our lives today for a salvation that doesn't leave us on our own, but a salvation that is with us in the trenches every moment of every day, wrestling whatever it is that life brings, and that you give us the saving power of the cross today. Help us, Father, to allow you to continue to save us today in all that we do, in all that we say, in all who we are and Father, thank you for the hope. Thank you for the promise that one day on that distant shore, when finally, when finally we can put down that oar, as great a ride as it's been, and finally we can look up into your face, into the face of the saints, into the face of all those in the kingdom of God, our brothers and sisters, and we can look up and we can be free from even the presence of sin once and for all. No more tears, Father, you promised. Keep your promise. No more pain. No more wrestling. No more junk in between us as people and children of God. Just your glory. Oh, we long for the day, and may the longing for that day encourage us and strengthen us to keep rowing to keep looking for your salvation in every moment, in every way of our lives. Give us that ability to defeat and to keep from us that power of sin which you have already broken and that you offer us each and every day. Father, I ask this in your name, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stay standing for the benediction, please? And if you'd turn toward the center and face me, and in so doing, face each other. Today's good words from God come to us through the Apostle Paul.
In Philippians, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, both in my presence, but now even more in my absence, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out the salvation that is in you. Continue to work out your salvation. Work it out in fear and trembling because it is God in you. It is God in you working for you to will and to act according to his good purpose. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. See you next week, West Bowl.